0: the podcast of Amago Day community where we're convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. We're in a, a series that we're walking through the story of God this year and so I hope that you're reading along. I hope if not you can jump in right now. There's uh, our app That has a reading plan. There's reading plans on the website. But essentially the idea is that when we story ourselves with God's story. Then we discover that this is the story we find ourselves in. And it helps us to understand meaning, purpose of life. uh, Where we're at. It helps us to navigate the world that we find ourselves in. But more than anything it helps us to know and love God who knows and loves us. And so uh, today we're in the beginnings. We're in the book of Genesis. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 11. And there's a question that begins to develop in the mind of the reader between Genesis three and Genesis 11. And that question is what is God going to do to sort of rescue this world that's getting out of control with the with the exception of noah and enoch there are there are just people who are now in full-blown rebellion against god and trying to essentially build their own empire and we see that culminate in chapter 11 with the tower of babel that they're going to get together and build a tower to the heavens And God recognizes that the human potential is great, but its use is always going to be perverted or twisted or turned in on itself. So he confuses the languages of the people. And thus we are sent into a world with so many different languages and people groups. But the question that begins to be asked that we should ask ourselves is do we live in a closed world or an open world? Because you live your life, do you live your life with an attitude or a faith in the fact that you're just up against whatever circumstances you find yourself in? And if you don't do something to confront those circumstances, nothing will ever change. Or, Do you live in a world that's open to possibility? Do you live in a world that's open to the idea that God can step in and God can intervene in the midst of the impossible situation that you find yourself in? It really is a question of, in a closed world, that faith doesn't really exist. And so we tend to slide between two extremes. One would be an inordinate amount of pride. Like we make this world what we want it to be and I am good enough to do that. So we step on each other to climb to that pinnacle that we find ourselves hoping for. Or we move to despair that the world is closed and my past has been written and my future is predetermined by the past that I've walked through. And so I don't have hope. I have only despair. And then you find ways to kind of medicate that despair. Or is the world open to the possibility of faith? Because there might be a God who is paying attention and has something to say and do about the the chaos that we find ourselves in. Think about that question as we enter this text because this text is going to sort of shape this for us. We'll start out in chapter 11 uh, with sort of this genealogy that introduces Abraham and Sarai. It says, while, 1128, while his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abraham and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. And she was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. And Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his granddaughter-in-law, or and his daughter-in-law, Sarai, the wife of Abram. And together they set out for Ur the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. And Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. And the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him and Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. The context for Abram and Sarai is one of barrenness. There is uh, the reality that they can't have kids, which in this context is even harder than it is in today's context. Children meant something about inheritance and and land and, and the future. All those things are not possible for Abram and Sarai. The barrenness is, gives us sort of a call back to the barrenness of creation, that the earth is formless and void. But in the midst of that barrenness, in the midst of that chaos, there is speech. God speaks into that circumstance. And in speaking, he opens up that barren world to a new possibility, to the possibility of his promise. And five times in this promise to Abram, he says, I will, I will. The promises of God are twofold. They are dependent on his character, who is the I in the promise, I will. It's God. It's a God whose own character is one of sovereign possibility, that his power and his love and his mercy create possibility. And then he says, I will. Which means this is a God of action, a God of intervention, a God who speaks into this barrenness within the chaos of humanity at this point with promise. And that promise is to bring the salvation of the world through the most impossible odds, like the least likely people. He would build a nation out of a couple who couldn't have kids. He would build a nation out of a nomadic group of people without land. And through that nation, he would bring a savior to redeem the world so that it wouldn't just be ethnic Israel, the children of Abraham, but all the nations of the world would be blessed through him. All the peoples of the earth would be blessed through him. It's a weird way to solve the crisis of a world gone out of control. It wouldn't be what I came up with, but I'm not God. Uh, but, it, but it's a very particular way and a compelling way for God to show up ex nihilo, like out of nothing. Just as I created the universe out of nothing, now I will create my salvation out of nothing, out of the barrenness of a man and a woman who are old and, t- and can't have children. It's that impossibility that my promises will come through. And those promises are massive. Ridiculously so. I'm gonna take Grandma and Grandpa Abram and I'm gonna make them a nation. And I'm gonna bless them. I'm gonna make their name great. I'm gonna make them to be a blessing. And I'm gonna bless those who bless them and whoever curses them, I'm gonna curse. And everyone in the earth is gonna be blessed through this couple. It's ridiculous. And it's full of impossibility and improbability. Like that doesn't happen. That's not the way the world works. And yet it's in this moment of chapter 12 that you and I come into the story. In Galatians, Paul points back to this passage and he says this in Galatians 3. He says, understand though then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles, those are people not born in the bloodline of Abraham, by faith. And he announced the gospel in advance to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. So Paul looks Backwards into history after Christ has come and died and risen again and he interprets what's happening here as God not just speaking a promise to Abram and Sarai in the midst of their barrenness but God bringing salvation by preaching the gospel to Abram. That, that, that as veiled as it might be to him in the moment, this all people of the worlds will be blessed through you is actually the gospel. Because through you will come God incarnate, Jesus Christ. And he will die on a cross and he will raise from the dead and he will give his spirit to all who come to him by faith. Or to put it another way, to those who would believe in the possibility of impossibility. That God has spoken into a world of rebellion and chaos and he has entered into it with his promise and his son. And so we find ourselves here in this passage, in Abram and in Sarai, and we're invited into the same Sort of wrestling match with him. Will we trust in the promises that Abram trusted in? And so it says, So then he left. He goes, He he picks up everything and he starts walking. He doesn't know where he's gonna go. God hasn't given him a map. It's this faith that says, I'm gonna trust in your promise despite everything that I see. I'm gonna trust in your promise despite the circumstance. To tell me your promises are impossible. And I'm gonna go and follow you by faith despite the fact I can only see one step in front of me. That's biblical faith. I think for most of us, we don't want the faith of Abraham. I think for most of us, we want the faith of a consumer that we put into a product. Right? This product is gonna make me happy. This product's gonna satisfy my life. This product's gonna give me the status that I want, whatever it might be. But when God calls you, he calls you to live into his promises and his purposes and he calls you to walk into those by faith. He's not a product that you consume. He is an alternative reality that you live into because he's ultimate reality. And so right here in Abraham, God is creating an alternative community within the context of the human race. That in a world that's closed for most people to the possibility of God showing up, and in a world that people run to this kind of crazy pride or hopeless despair, there would be these people. There would be these people that believed in the possibility of impossibility, because they knew that there was a God of great love and good character who speaks his will into our human story through promise. And we, this alternative community, would believe that. We'd trust that. And together we'd step into that. And the result of that faith would bless the world. Right? It would bless the world Sometimes Abram's faith is its sort of painted in some kind of Sunday school plasticky idea. Like he just blindly had it and went everywhere and it was always just perfect. But his faith was just like your faith and my faith. And when tested, sometimes we're pretty good and sometimes we're not so good. Right after God makes this promise, there's a famine in the land and so they go to Egypt and Sarah is older, but she's a beautiful woman. And, and Abram is going into territory with, uh, with an empire, with Pharaoh's empire. And he's fearful for his life. And despite God saying, hey, I will take care of you, I will bless you, and if anybody comes against you, I'll curse them, uh, Abram's faith looks like this. He walks in and he goes, listen, Sarah, Sarah, We get there, they're gonna want you for their wife and they're gonna kill me to take you as their wife. So let's just say you're my sister and uh, you can go be his wife. Now, I don't know how you would respond to that, but it seemed to me like she was a pretty important piece of the promise, right? That the baby, (laughs) she was gonna have the baby. But real quickly, he's like, hey, go ahead. She's my sister, no problem. And he's over growing herds and making money while she's in the Pharaoh's house and God's protecting Sarah and the promise by cursing Pharaoh if he tries to do anything to her. Finally, Pharaoh wakes up and he's like, why do not you tell me? Go, get out of here. And he's like, okay, thanks. Come on, Sarah, let's go. We're living, in, living the life of faith here. Um, when we are faithless, We hurt people. But when we're faithless, it doesn't mean God is not faithful. Like even the moments that your faith fails, God is still true to his promises. And Abram has a faith that's real. And in that, what I mean is it's like yours and mine, where sometimes we're solid and sometimes we sit there and we, We look at the promises of God. God promises that he'll complete the good work that he started in you. God promises that he's gonna conform you to the image of his son. God promises that Christ is gonna be with you and never leave you or forsake you. And yet, in, in in your wrestling match with how that's gonna happen, many times you you pick it up yourself and say, I'll make it happen. I'll make sure and I'll work and I'll earn it or, or he hasn't. And so you lose faith altogether. But that doesn't mean that God is faithless. God is the one that's faithful. Even when your faith isn't happening. And that isn't to shame you. It's to, it's to wake you up. It's to prophetically go, oh my gosh, even when I'm just walking in unbelief, God in his grace continues to be faithful to me. So why wouldn't I want to get with the program and live into his promises? There is this reality that When our faith is tried, there's times where it's left wanting, but God's promises are always gonna be true to you. And so this promise of an heir, this promise of a seed, this promise of a nation, it unfolds to Abram after time. Years and years go by. 20 some years go by, and in chapter 15, verse one, here's what it says. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, who can give, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir is this midst of waiting when god promises and we wait and it's in the midst of that that doubt kind of creeps in or starts to define what the promise actually was so the question that he gives is what can you give me right what can god actually do for you have you been there like have you looked at your marriage and said what can god do Have you looked at your situation and said, what can can God actually do? And God calls him and says, then the word of the Lord came to him. And he says, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside and he said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. God gives him sort of this, just reiterates the promise, sort of makes it clear to him, this is, this is how I'm going to do it. it. It actually is the impossible way. Like now years have gone by, they're both even older, and, and Abram's doubting the mechanism by which God's going to fulfill his promise. And God points him back and says, it's actually going to be through Sarah and it's gonna be with you two and it's gonna be your own flesh and blood. And then he takes him outside and he says, look up at the stars and see if you can count them. Is he doing that because he literally was going, how, how do I help him see how many kids he's gonna have? Will I have him go count that? Or does he pull him outside and give him this simple illustration of the night sky? To not only build hope in his promise, but also for Abram to recall who it is he's trusting in. That the God who speaks the stars into a barren void is the God who speaks a son into a barren womb. A God who speaks. His creation into being is the one who speaks salvation into our rebellion through the promise that he made to Abram. Anytime you and I are up against faith, we are called back to be able to pay attention to who God is and what he's done. And it is that memory that we can enter into, simply by looking up at creation that, re- that, that helps us to recognize who we're, who we're dealing with. When we're up against the impossibility, we realize that we have a God of the possible. We don't have a closed world. And it says, Abram believed the Lord and it credited him as righteousness. And and Paul plays on this over and over that our salvation is based not on our own ability. Because let's face it, a, a barren couple in their 90s really don't have possibility. They can work harder, but it's probably not gonna produce a kid, right? and it 's sort of the humor of that, which at least one of you laughed, um, <laughs> that God wants you to actually get in on that that as ridiculous as that sounds it 's just as ridiculous for you to think you can earn your way to heaven, or you can fix your life or you can satisfy god 's Wrath against sin, or you can make yourself a son or daughter of God, it's it's humorous. And so faith is looking at our barren lives and trusting that the God who speaks his promises into them is capable of making it happen, that he's capable of making what seems impossible possible. Through Jesus. And it's that that image that is biblical faith that you trust it and you put your foot out and you step into it and you don't know where it leads and you don't know how it's going to show up and you might wait for a long time but you're going to keep stepping into it. Here's what Hebrews says about this passage. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. It is a faith that God is capable of of doing what he's promised to do. And it's a faith that walks, not by sight, but by trust in his character. And so if you picked up on that, Abram lives his life out in the promised land, but it, nobody's recognizing that it's his. That doesn't come for years and years later. He lives in tents. But it, but, but the the experience of living by faith Doesn't cause him to doubt. It causes him to hunger. So he's looking for a promise. For a possibility. Now that's bigger than the promised land. He's looking for a city. Whose foundations and architect. Is God. Because God is the goal of faith. Not just getting what you want. Out of life. But getting the God. Who gave you life. That's the goal. So eventually, as we walk out this faith, what, what we start to long for is not just a better life, but we long for communion with the living God. And so at the beginning, we talked about what kind of universe you live in, a closed universe without God or hope that leads you to pride or despair. Or do you live in a universe open to possibility because a God who loves and cares still speaks into it? In chapter 18, there's a scene. And the scene is these three men come to Abraham and he gets very excited about these visitors and he he puts on this great meal. And then in in the midst of this meal, one of them speaks to him on behalf of God, and he says, Where, "'Where's your wife, Sarah?' They asked him, and she said, he said, "'There in the tent.'" One of them said, "'I will surely return to you "'about this time next year, "'and Sarah, your wife, will have a son.'" Now, Sarah's listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were very old. At this time, it's probably you know close to 20-some years after the original promise. And Sarah was past the age of childbearing, so she laughed to herself and she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? It's this beautiful sense of irony. And then the Lord said to Abram, Abram Why'd Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I'll return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I didn't laugh. And he said, "Uh, yes, she did. (laughs) There's this question that is spoken into Sarah's laugh. And you know, there's times, I mean, God knows the motive of our hearts. And so there's times where somebody laughs at God and uh, they get in trouble. And other times, like this, he's, he's kinda gentle and gracious. But Sarah's laugh is an Easter laugh. It's a laugh that can't believe that the impossible is possible. It's a laugh that, that, that realizes how old they are, how ridiculous the story is. Like, she just laughs. Like, are you kidding me? If you ask your grandmother if she wanted to have a child, she might laugh at you. <laughs> and, and so here is this laugh, and yet there's a gentle rebuke that, that asks the question, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Your answer, our answer, her answer to that question really determines what kind of universe you live in and it also determines if you believe in God or not because the minute that you say yes there are things that are too hard for the Lord then you're not you don't have the Lord that's not who you're dealing with You're not dealing with the one that spoke the stars into being. You're dealing with some truncated representation of God that you've created in your mind. A God who you will determine what he is capable of. But the minute that you say no, no, there is nothing too hard for the Lord. Then your world opens up so that the impossible becomes possible that the promises of God are always possible. the promises of God are to be counted on and banked on. And you are to step out onto the sea of promises that God has made to you in Christ. And you're to walk by faith in the goodness of his love. For us, It's the Easter laugh of the incarnation, that really God would come after me and become human and enter into my humanity. Really, he'd be born of a virgin. Really, he'd live this life as a homeless, itinerant preacher, healing and performing miracles and talking about the kingdom of God. Really, my sin would be taken to the cross so that God wouldn't count it against me, and God's righteousness of Jesus would be given to me, so I could be a son or daughter of God. Really, a man who is buried for three days in a tomb comes back to life and defeats death. That's the Easter laugh, right? It's like this. It's not possible. But it is possible because God has spoken his promises and his will into our world. So it is this place of faith and hope and love is a place where this alternative humanity would walk together into the promises of God. And that we would resist this pride that says it's, it's us against the world and we would resist the despair that says, just try to get through it any way you can. And we would be a people of hope who together walk by faith and not by sight. Believing that the God who has spoken the world into being has saved us in Jesus and has opened up and promised the, promised the impossible things that he will make possible. One of the things that gets twisted sometimes if we don't story ourselves into this this book is that we begin to make up our own promises and then we blame God when he doesn't keep them. Like God, you promised I'd be married. You promised I'd never suffer. You promised we'd have kids. You promised... uh, and so what we do is we, we look at the world and the possibilities the world offers us and then we want God to bless those possibilities. But faith is not using God to create the life you want. Faith is trusting God with the life he gave you and stepping into those promises. Promises. Which means he is a God where anything is possible, but not everything is promised. And our job is to orient our life around the promises he's made, not to try to get him to make new ones. Does that make sense? This is the place where you begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is the place where the barrenness of the world and the emptiness of its promises eventually begin to fade away. This is a place where your heart begins to hunger and thirst for God because he is the object of your faith. There's a beautiful illustration of this that brings us right to this table today. Jesus clearly believed that all things were possible for God. But he also knew that God's promise was that he would save the world through him. And so in the garden of Gethsemane, it says this, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. There's this moment right before the cross where he looks to the God who can do anything, for whom anything is possible, but not everything is promised. And it's in that moment that he says, will you take this cup from me? Take this poured out blood. Take this broken body away so that I don't have to go through it. But he stops himself and he says, but not my will, but yours be done. And that's the step into faith. The step where he trusts that God's promises and God's will are the way of life. And that the things that I want that God doesn't want for me are the way of death. And Jesus in that moment enters into, becomes our salvation because he was the one that was promised. And it was through his death and his resurrection that you're given life. So today, I invite you to this table. It is an invitation to let your universe be open to the promises of God. To embrace the possibility of impossibility. That your past doesn't name you, but Christ does. That you're not invited to earn your your seat at God's table, but you're to trust and believe that he made you one. You're to receive his mercy through the sacrifice of his son. This is a place for you to come by faith and to receive Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning and God, we, we confess uh, our lack of faith We confess how easy it is for us to trust in the promises of the world and not your promises for us. But we come ultimately, God, we come because we need Jesus today. We come believing, like Abraham, that you have promised and you have given and you have saved and you've redeemed through Christ. And, And you have promised that just by believing, you would credit that to us as righteousness. So help us lay down, God, all the demands that we make upon your promises and step by faith into the ones that you have actually given us because those are the pathway to life. And God, as we come, we come as people grateful that you would allow us to be this alternative community In a world that seems so full of despair and arrogance. Would you make us a people that can bless the world? Because we're people of hope and people of your promise. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you are interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the Church, please visit our website at ww.amago daycommunity.com